Hey guys, today is the last day if you want to pre-order my new book, Small Group Leader Secrets. Uh, In there, I dive into the seven strategies, the seven key principles that every small group leader needs to have in place in order to build a thriving small group where you aren't doing everything on your own. Um, If you've been wondering, should you pull the trigger on this book or not, let me tell you who it's for. If you are leading a family group, if you're leading a Bible talk, if you are leading a small ministry of less than 25 people, if you're leading a small house church of less than 25 people, this book will make a huge difference in the engagement and in the spiritual health and in the growth of your group. If you want to pre-order before today is over to get in on the uh, the first run, you'll get a signed copy, you'll get free shipping, and you'll get some podcast swag that I've never released before. So just go to smallgroupleadersecrets.com to pre-order. And uh, without further ado, let's get this show going. This is episode number 103. And on today's edition of Fan Friday, I'm answering a question from Claire. Welcome to the Practical Christian Podcast. My name is Travis Albritton, your friendly neighborhood Bible teacher. And every day, we'll dive into the tips, tricks, and hacks that you can implement in your daily life to become a more effective Christian. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to your daily dose of Practical Christian Training. Our super fan of the week this week is Inland Pilot. He, uh, or they, rather, left a review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts to let me know how the podcast has been helping them. And uh, this is what Inland Pilot said about this podcast. said, it's a blessing to hear your take on practical ways that we can become better Christians. Your tips for unlocking our potential and connecting with God are very useful. God has blessed you with an ability to teach and you are doing it. It's honoring to our God. Thank you for being obedient and doing your work. Keep up the good work, bro. We need you. Reading reviews like this really does make my day, guys. When you know I put these episodes together, when I put these lessons together, my hope, my dream is that it can help you where you're at in your uh, daily life and help you to be more effective as you live out your faith. And so thank you to Inland Pilot for leaving that review. And if you want to be highlighted as a super fan of the week, all you have to do is go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That is it. And uh, and if you're lucky, you'll get your uh, get your review read here on the podcast. But today's question for Fan Friday comes from Claire. And I've been wondering when this question would pop up because it is something that I've thought about a lot and something that I've wrestled with over my time as a Christian. And so I'm, I'm grateful that now I have an opportunity to try and tackle it as best as I can. But Claire asks, what is your view on predestination in Romans 8. So, the idea of predestination is uh, difficult to, to, to grapple with. And so, what I want to do is first set the stage and kind of frame out what this is a discussion about, and then talk about all the different thoughts or ideas about how it applies to us, right? So, when you talk about predestination or divine election— or free will. It's really a question about God's role in our decision to follow Jesus. That is the, the, what we're trying to do when we're diving into predestination. We're talking about, uh, you know, what, at what point does God step in and how involved is he in our decision to become Christians? And there are two main thoughts. There are two main camps 
in this. The first one is divine election, which is uh, how uh, Calvin describes predestination, right? And so this would be the Calvinist camp. And divine election or predestination essentially means God chooses who will be saved. And that might sound kind of strange, but there's some solid biblical evidence that that is true. So if we start in Romans chapter 8, which is what Claire asked specifically about, the passage she's referring to starts in verse 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So this passage written to Christians seems to say that God knew who he would choose beforehand to be joined with him, justified, glorified, called, conformed to the image of his son, right? And that can be a difficult thing to process because if that's true, then that means that God deliberately identified specific people that would have their sins forgiven is essentially what this is, is implying. So does that mean that he's also choosing people to not be saved? Well, the plot thickens, because if you go to the next chapter, we get something even more on the nose and even harder to wrestle with. So in Romans chapter 9, verses, verse 10 through 13, Paul says, not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. This is Isaac from the book of Genesis. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. So if you thought the last passage we read was hard, this one's even more difficult to, to really wrestle with. Because essentially what this says is that God decided before Jacob and Esau were born who he would bless. That it wasn't up to them, regardless of what they did, before they had done anything good or bad, God's purpose in election meant that Jacob would be the one he loved and Esau the one he hated. All right, so that is divine election. Divine election is the, the doctrine or the belief that God has chosen who are going to be his people, who are the individuals who are going to be a part of his family. And then by contrast, like Esau, those who would not be a part of his family. And so that's one side of the coin. The other side is free will. And this is the Armenian point of view. And that can be summed up in this statement, that salvation is available to anyone who responds to the gospel. That while divine election is in the Bible, that there are other passages that strongly imply that this invitation to respond to the gospel and to be saved through Jesus is available to anyone. And so in John chapter 3, verse 16, you might be familiar with this scripture. We're going to read all the way through verse 18, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so this passage seems to indicate that anyone 
who believes in Jesus, that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he, um, his sacrifice is the gospel message, and that our response to that gospel message is what allows us to enter into the grace of God, right? That it's on account of our deciding to, to follow Jesus or not, that if you believe in him and by extension follow him, you will not be condemned. But if you don't, then you are condemned. So it's tied to your decision, that whether you're saved or not is tied directly to what you decide to do with the gospel. And so that is the free will argument, the Armenian argument. And that is also legitimately supported in scripture. And so this is what's tough, right? That both thoughts, both perspectives have legitimate exegetical support in scripture. And as we try and unpack these things, I, I think it's, it's important to recognize that if God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, this is bound to happen. There is bound to be something in God's word that we cannot fully grasp or understand or make sense of, all right? Just like you can't explain to an ant what, an, what the internet is, God is not going to be able to explain everything to us in a way that we can understand. And so, so the Bible is his attempt to give us as much as we possibly can handle and all the wisdom that we need to glorify him without giving us every single answer to everything under the sun, all right? But let's talk through what are some potential uh, middle grounds, or, or instead of saying middle ground, what are some th- takeaways or some things that we should uh, be able to use moving forward? So first question, is divine election an attempt to describe God's omnipotence? Or in other words, is the scriptures or passages that point to God choosing people to be his and excluding others, uh, an attempt to describe the fact that he's all-knowing, that he has the ability to look into the future and into the past and see them as they're happening in the present because he, he exists outside of time. And so by saying he's elected people or predestined people, that's just pointing to the fact that he can see into the future and knows who is going to decide to follow Jesus. Potentially. That's, that's potentially true. There's nothing explicit in the Bible that I'm aware of that says that that's true. And so that's more trying to connect some dots and saying, you know, while the, the, there's not a verse that says, you know, when we talk about divine election or predestination or ju- God choosing people, that's just God using his ability to see into the future to, to uh, craft the present, to glorify himself. That's potentially true. The, uh, the, other th- the other thing that I want to say about divine election is there's a question about its fairness, right? Is it fair that God chooses some people to be saved and some people not to be saved? And I'm going to say absolutely. It is absolutely fair because what isn't fair at all to God is giving us an opportunity to go to heaven after all of the things we've done to fall short. That is not fair. It is not fair to God in the sense of getting what we deserve, right? Each of us deserve death. Each of us deserve condemnation. So it's not fair that some of us have the opportunity to be saved because we all deserve death, right? And so the fact that God would save anyone is a testament to his grace and mercy, not the reverse. And then uh, on the flip side, talking about free will, uh, an important question is, does free will or the idea that our decisions impact our salvation, does that mean we can lose our salvation? And it certainly seems that way. It certainly seems 
based on the Bible that if you choose to not follow God, there are eternal consequences, regardless of the fact of if you're called or not. All right, so in Hebrews chapter 10, this is a very uh, sobering passage. Talking to a group of Christians, the writer says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And then jumping down to verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. All right, so kind of scary passage, but essentially what he's saying is if you come across the gospel message and choose to turn your back on it, or if after you've received the gospel, have received forgiveness for your sins, but then continue to live a life lacking repentance, that you should not expect to receive what God has promised. Kind of scary. And so how do we, how do we wrestle with these things? How do we take these two different thoughts that seem to be uh, counter to each other and come up with some, some paths forward, right? So first practical takeaway for this discussion around predestination versus free will or divine election versus free will is that if, if God chooses you or if you choose God, you still have to obey his commands, right? Regardless of whether God chose you before you were born to be saved or if you decided you were going to respond to God, whichever camp you sit in, you still have to obey his commands. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 makes it very, very clear that if you continue to live in accordance with the sinful nature, that you will not go to heaven. Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no one will see God. And that holiness is a granted holiness and an active holiness. And in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, Paul exhorts us, encourages us to work out observation with, with fear and trembling. So it's not, it's not a, a one and done guarantee forever, right? You still have to obey his commands regardless of whatever camp you sit in. The second practical takeaway that I think is important is that God's word is as mysterious and mind-bending as God himself. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but we should never expect to have a complete understanding about everything we read in scripture. If we could, then that would mean that our intellect or our ability to contemplate the truths of the universe is on par with God's. And that's not something we should expect to happen. The third practical takeaway is that knowing the answer to this difficult question is not a salvation issue. All right? This is ultimately a theological discussion. And it's fun. I enjoy having these kinds of discussions because it gives our relationship with God depth. But knowing lots of facts about the Bible is not our purpose. It can seem that way when you really want to dig in and learn these core principle truths about who God is. But knowing lots of facts about the, God is, about bi- the Bible is not our purpose. Your relationship with God is your purpose. God created you for relationship, not for knowledge. So hopefully, Claire, that gave you some insight and some into the two different perspectives on God's role in our salvation. And if you're listening and you're just as confused now as when we first started the episode, I would encourage you to dig into these passages for yourself and to, to pray for God to give you a spirit of discernment and to give you the wisdom that you need in order to live a fruitful and productive life and to be excited that there are things in the Bible 
that are hard to understand because that means we truly do serve a God that is beyond us, that we cannot comprehend, and that's a good thing. If you want your question answered on the podcast, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes to submit your question or just jump over into the podcast Facebook group and submit your question that way. And uh, I love doing these. I love doing these questions, interacting with you guys and being able to answer the things that are on your heart. But that is it for today. Make sure to smash that subscribe button to get daily practical tips just like this one. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts for your chance to get a shout out as the super fan of the week. And go to the podcast Facebook group. If you're not there, you're missing out. Say hi to me, connect with me, connect with the other podcast listener peeps, and uh, help us decide future episode topics. Every day is an opportunity to grow closer to God and make a positive impact on the people around you. Take action with what you've learned and help make the world a little more like heaven. I'm Travis Albritton, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.